So as Andrew said, we're starting a new series uh, that will last probably 12 weeks. It's in the book of Jonah. Jonah is kind of one of those little books, you know, in a section of your Bible called the Minor Prophets. It's next to books like Hosea and Nahum and Habakkuk and Obadiah and all those good books. I think if I asked you to summarize for me what they say, you would probably go, uh, I don't know. But probably Jonah is one of those books that you might be able to give me a fighting ch- You'd have a fighting chance of being able to describe to me at least some of that story. It's a very famous story. It's famous principally because it involves a very remarkable and memorable story of a, of a man who is swallowed by a giant fish. I always want to say whale, but technically the Hebrew word is not whale, so it wasn't necessarily a whale. And uh, I might say whale by accident, and if I do, then shoot me down or sue me or something. But anyway, we're talking about this man, Jonah, who is swallowed at some point in the story by a giant fish and somehow lives to tell the tale. It's a bit of a classic, and it's not just a cool story. We believe it's a story that's loaded with truth about humanity and, uh, more importantly, about God. And it does have some very important implications for our lives today. So it's going to be a cool series. I'm looking forward to getting into it. Today's message is really going to be kind of an introduction to the series. We're only going to study two verses, so we're not going to get really into the guts of the story, no pun intended. Uh, But we are going to give you some background to the book, some context for the remainder of the series, and I'm going to introduce you to the book's real main character, which isn't Jonah, isn't the mutant fish Uh, but is in fact God himself. So let's pray just before we get into the message proper. Father, thank you so much for your word, God. We believe that every word in Scripture is inspired. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. And so we pray that this morning our time together in the book of Jonah, which is a book we've probably not looked at a lot before, God, I pray our time would be profitable. God, I pray it would be uh, inspiring. I pray it would be insightful. Pray it would be helpful and where necessary, challenging. And either way, I pray that we'd leave different and better in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so a bit of background. Jonah is mentioned twice in the Old Testament. Obviously, he's mentioned extensively in the book of Jonah. But he's also mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14, where we learn that Jonah was around at the time of the reign of a king, a man called Jeroboam II, who wasn't a very nice king. Uh, But he was the king over the northern kingdom of Israel, and this was all in about the 8th century BC. We're told in 2 Kings that Jonah was from a place called Gath-Ephor, and uh, that's a few miles from Nazareth, and according to Jerome the historian, he was also buried there. So Jonah was both born in that place and possibly died in that place, and certainly is buried in that same place called Gath-Ephor. There are a few Uh, Jewish traditions about where Jonah came from and who he was. One of them was that he was the widow's son whom Elijah restored to life. And although that's a kind of nice, I kind of want that to be true, but um, unfortunately there's no biblical evidence that that's the case. What we do know is that he was the son of a man called Amittai, a fact that we're introduced to in 2 Kings. I'll read them shortly. Uh, But we also read that in uh, Jonah uh, the ver- first verse of, of the book of Jonah, and it's, inclu- it's the inclusion of this kind of historical information, place names, names of people, uh, alongside the fact that uh, it reads very much like some of the history books in uh, the Scriptures. So Jonah's a little bit different from other of the minor prophets. It doesn't feel so much like 
prophecy. There's not a whole lot of prophecy in it. It reads more like history, and I think we're intended to believe, actually, that it's not just an allegorical story. It's not some kind of parable or fictional story that contains spiritual lessons, but rather, as remarkable as the story is, it is, in fact, history. And I know some of you will struggle to believe that, uh, but if you're a Christian here today, you may or should gain a lot of confidence from the fact that Jesus himself mentioned Jonah. Jesus clearly believed in Jonah, and very interestingly, Jonah was the only Bible character that Jesus compares himself to directly. So folks, as, ordinary, as extraordinary as the story is, and as physically impossible as the story may seem, we're led to believe that what we're actually reading in the book of Jonah, these are things that actually happen. Some people believe that Jonah miraculously survived for three days inside the fish. Other Christians believe that he died and was resurrected. I think the text gives room for both, but what is clear is that in either case, God did something miraculous and unprecedented, which if you've read scripture, you'll know isn't unusual for God. So the book is 48 verses long. It's one of the shortest books in the Bible. Uh, But what's interesting about it is that that it pretty much sums up the entire message of the Bible. It's the whole biblical worldview is contained, as it were, in concise summary form in the book of Jonah. And for that reason, it's a very valuable book. I said earlier that the main character of the story was, in fact, God. It's It's not a story principally about Jonah. It's not a story about a disobedient prophet, but rather about an amazing, patient, compassionate, and gracious God. That's why we've called this series Jonah and God's Relentless Grace. So the rest of this message is going to focus really on the first two verses of the book of Jonah, which give us a good introduction of the God that we're talking about. So let's just read them. This is verses one and two, and you may think, Well, that's not a lot to go on, Graham, but this is what we have. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, it says this. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And here we kind of have the, the scene set for the kind of God that we're dealing with in this book of Jonah. Two verses, three things that I believe these verses communicate about God. Firstly, that God is a God who speaks, say speaks. God is a God who sends, say sends. And God is a God who sees, say sees. So here we go with the first one. God is a God who speaks. Now the word of the Lord, verse 1 The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. We believe in a God who speaks. You can say amen if you want. We believe in a God who speaks. He has been speaking since the world began. In fact, the world began, Scripture tells us, because of God speaking. The Bible says that, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then he went on to say, and let there be sky. And there was sky. And he said, let the dry land gather together in one place. And that happened. And then he said, for the land to produce vegetation. And and that happened. And so on and so on. And 
effectively the entire universe with the exception of humankind which he formed with his hands were created, was created by God speaking. And ever since that point, we read in the Bible that God isn't a God who's silent. He's not a detached and unconnected and uninvolved God, but rather he's a God who is constantly speaking. He spoke to Adam and Eve. He spoke to Abraham, as we've heard. He spoke to Isaac. He spoke to Jacob. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to the prophets. He spoke again and again and again and again. In fact, that phrase, the word of the Lord came, appears 102 times in the scriptures. God is a God who speaks. In fact, in 2 Kings 14, the verses we read earlier, they indicate that this prophecy, this, this uh, message that Jonah was given was not the first time that God had spoken to Jonah. It says in 2 Kings 14, 23 and 25, it says, in the 15th year of the Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. He was the one who restored the boundaries, that's Jeroboam of Israel, from Laboham after the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. What was that saying? Well, interestingly, it's saying that Jonah prophesied that Jeroboam the king would recapture some of the territories and the land and the cities that they had lost. And effectively, under his reign, uh, Israel would become the most prosperous and the most dominant it had ever been possibly. And that's a pretty encouraging word to bring. I, I guess in church when Jonah was sharing that word, he would have got a lot of amens. <laughs> um, but that wasn't the only message that uh, Jonah had to give. The second time God appeared and spoke to Jonah, he was given a message that wasn't so encouraging. And rather than going to his own people, he was given a message to a foreign nation, uh, an enemy of Israel. And so what's clear to me from those two accounts is that sometimes God says things that we want to hear, and sometimes God says things that we don't want to hear. How many of you have ever experienced something from God that you didn't really want to hear? but God spoke into your life. We serve a God who speaks. Hebrews 1 verses 1 and 2 says this. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. What the author of Hebrews is saying here is that throughout the ages, God has always been speaking lots of different ways through lots of different people, saying lots of different things, but he has been communicating and communicating and constantly interacting with his people. But what he goes on to say is that at the coming of Jesus, God's ultimate message was announced. Do you remember in John chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus is given a particular name? Do you remember what it is? John chapter 1, verse 1. Help me out, Paul. The Word. In the beginning was the 
the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what we're supposed to understand by that terminology is that Jesus' whole life was about communicating God's most important message yet. And it wasn't just through the things he said, it was through the way he lived his life, the things he did for people, the way he treated people, and most importantly, the way at Easter, which we'll be celebrating in a few weeks' time, the way at Easter he staggered up that hill with a cross on his back and bled his life out for you. All of that was one big message from God that he would do anything he could to be in relationship with his people that he created. And folks, that, I know you've heard it before, but that is the most important, the most life-changing message you will ever hear. And if you're here today and you don't know God, if you accept that message, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, heaven will throw a party. And you'll cross over into the very relationship that you were created for in the first place. If you're in that boat, I'll give you an opportunity at the end. But you know what the amazing thing is? That even though God has communicated already his ultimate message through Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, even though that that event has already taken place, God is still speaking. God is still speaking. It says in... uh, Luke 12, Jesus told his disciples on several occasions that the Holy Spirit would continue to speak to them even after he had gone to be with his Father. This is one of those occasions, Luke 12, verses 11 to 12. It says, when you are brought before the synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what You should say, the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. In other words, the Holy Spirit will speak to you about what he wants to speak through you. And folks, I have a conviction that the Holy Spirit doesn't just want to speak to Christians when they stand before the authorities, but that he wants to speak to Christians as they stand before the bathroom mirror in the morning shaving or putting on their makeup, whichever it is you do, hopefully not both. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you on the bus. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you as you take the kids to school. I believe he wants to speak to you while you're at work making that presentation, or as you're studying in the library, or as you're cleaning the house, or as you're walking the dog. In any and every part of the day, the Holy Spirit has something to say to you, and if you're not hearing his voice, the chances are you're not listening. You're not listening. You know, most, probably the majority of radio stations are transmitting 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So if you're not hearing their broadcasts, what does that mean? You're all muttering, but basically what it means is that your receiver is either not on or not not tuned in. So my question this morning to you believers is this. Are you tuned in to the voice of the Holy Spirit? We're talking this morning about a God who speaks. 
And we've got to make that real. If God is speaking, then we want to be people who hear, don't we? And so here's three keys for hearing God speak. And I know this is a way, 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 way bigger topic than we can even attempt to scratch the surface of. But just while we're speaking about it in the context of Jonah, I want to give you three keys for hearing God's voice. You ready? Here's the first one. Samantha, I'll preach to you since no one else is interested. Okay, number one, position to listen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that. Position to listen. How many of you have been asked the question today, or you've asked the question, how's your week been? Has has anyone already been asked that question or asked that question today? About six of you. What was the answer to that question? What? All right, James says, all right, I'm all right, thanks. (laughs) Most often when you ask that question or at least 75% of the time I ask that question, or even often, often when I answer that question, my answer is this, busy. You heard that? I'm busy. The, the truth is, we're busy. Life is busy. We're frantic. Life is chaotic. People are constantly moving around, rushing around, pressures, deadlines, noise, 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 pressure, pressure, pressure. And then we get home. Ah, and then it's dinner, 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 kids, 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 call midwife, whatever else it might be. <laughs> and of course, you're sitting there and your Facebook is pinging on your phone every 30 seconds as people update their status or your wall or whatever else it is. Our life is filled with relentless noise. You know, I have kids and one of the things that nobody really sufficiently warned me about was that with kids comes a whole lot of noise. And you, you kind of expect it as, as a baby, you sort of give them a grace period. <laughs> and you think, oh yeah, sure, as soon as they're not babies, they will have learned to not be quite so noisy. And then some people that you thought were friends buy you toys with no off switch. <laughs> and whistles. And you realize that the noise just never stops. And then even when they're not playing with the toys, especially if they're girls, it's like (laughs) all the time. And so one of the things that I'm regularly saying these days to to Sophie and Beth and is, girls, I'm I'm trying to hear what your mom has to say. It's like, I can't even talk to my wife because they're talking, talking, talking all the time. And uh, what in the world was I saying? (laughs) Sometimes it gets worse. (laughs) Colette, don't break my heart. (laughs) Sometimes we, we can't hear the voice of God because of all the noise, all the noise in our life. And I'm not even talking about noise proper. I'm talking about all of the various interference that's going on, all the busyness, all the challenges, all the thoughts, all the Facebook, all the the pressures of life. And folks, there's nothing wrong with most of that stuff. A lot of it's here to stay, but what we need to do is we need to get good at carving out time to actually listen. You heard of silence? You heard of it? If you don't know that word or have never experienced it, go look up in the dictionary and try and find out, try and rediscover the concept of quiet. 
we need to hear the voice of God, and often what it takes is a little bit more quiet. And I don't know what that means for you. Some, for some of you, it means getting up a little bit earlier. <laughs> for some of you, it means going for a walk in the country. For some of you, it means finding a, find a quiet room or a quiet place. For some of you, it means going away for a retreat every so often, for a day or a couple of days. For some of you, it means having a Facebook and Twitter-free evening. That's the, that's the word of the Lord speaking to some of you right here. Here's what Psalm 62 verse 5 says. It says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. We need to create a little bit of space in our lives to hear God by waiting in silence. Here's the second thing. We're talking about hearing the voice of God. Three keys. The second thing is this. Choose the right channel. Choose the right channel. This is a basic truth, and it's such a foundational one that it's worth repeating even if you've heard it a thousand times. The primary way the Holy Spirit will speak to you is by illuminating things he has already said in his word. So if you need to hear from God, then read the Bible. And if you read it and you don't hear from God, then read it again. And if you read it and you don't hear from God, then read it again. And if you, don't, if you read it and you don't hear from God, read it again. And all the time, you're preparing your heart to receive what it is that he wants to speak to you. Here's a little verse in John 4, 24. You may not understand the connection immediately. It says, God is spirit. This is something Jesus said. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, what's the connection to that between that and what I'm saying? Well, here's what this verse is communicating. It's telling us that the way we communicate with God is spirit to spirit. And the way God communicates with us, therefore, is spirit to spirit. A lot of people are hanging around waiting for an audible voice from heaven, but the chances are it's not going to come. Sometimes that happens, but most often it's God communicating spirit to spirit. He's impressing on your spirit things that are in his spirit. And so you may not get it up here. It may not drop into this zone not the bald patch, the brain. It may not drop into this zone. It may drop into the spirit zone. And so you need to be prepared and connected in a spiritual way. And often that way is through reading and rereading his word. So tune into the right channel. The third thing I would say is this, check what you're hearing. Check what you're hearing. How many of you have ever used voice recognition software of some kind, whether it be on the, on the telephone. You ever been on one of those on hold and they ask you to say it rather than type it or whatever? It's not a real person, it's a machine. You have to, and you have to repeat yourself and repeat yourself or you're, you're talking to your phone. I don't know if you ever do this. I do this sometimes. In fact, this week, should I tell a story, Andrew? Probably not. He's looking at me because he knows what happens. I'll take it to a certain point and then I'll... Let the Holy Spirit speak to me about it. So there was, uh, I was doing this Apple phones, what are they called? iPhones, yeah, they have a, a function where you can speak and it will detect into a note. And I, I, I said this sentence, I was talking, I was researching for the sermon and this, the sentence I put was, 
I said, this is what I said, I said, God's sovereignty and his omnipotence. That's what I said. <laughs> I don't know if I can actually say what, it's, what Siri's interpretation of what I said was, but it involved body parts, all right? That's all I'm going to say. It came out on my screen. I was like, that's not what I said. And the truth is, we sometimes miss here, don't we? Um, you've probably been in a situation where your partner, your wife, your friend, your mother said something and you thought they said something, but they said something totally different. And it can be like that with God. Over the years, I've seen many people make crazy decisions about relationships or about finance or about what it is God's called them to do with their lives because allegedly they've heard God. And often I've been sitting in my chair thinking, that's not God you're hearing. And so I want to encourage you, church, especially when it comes to making big decisions like getting married or moving away to a different city or a different nation or changing churches or big life-altering decisions. I'd encourage you simply this. Take advice. Take advice. Take advice from godly people. You know, the Bible speaks about eldership, and one of the things it talks about eldership is that we're to submit to uh, godly leadership, and part of what that means is that when we've got big moments in our life, it, it makes sense to actually say, guys, listen, I've been thinking about this, I've been praying about this, have you got anything to say? That's one of the reasons we do a pastoral surgery. I don't know if you've heard about that, we run that on a Thursday, typically afternoon and evening. If you want to connect with a pastor or a pastoral team member, then fill in, you see the little green card that's attached to your seat in front of you? It says welcome on it. There's a box on that form that says, I'd like to meet one of the pastoral team. We'd love, if you're facing a big challenge, a big issue, something you need to pray about, talk through with us, then please make the most of that. It says in Proverbs 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Okay, there's a whole lot more I could say about hearing the voice of God. We've got to move on to the second point, which is this. We're talking about three things, three hallmarks we see about God from the first couple of verses in Jonah. The second one is this. He's a God who sends. He's a God who sends. This is what he says in verse 2, I think. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. I don't know if you've ever used Bible Gateway. When you're preaching, you often are on sites like that. And what I've often found is that there are certain phrases and words that you can't search for because they're just too common in the Bible. So if you put the word and into the search, it'll just say, sorry, this word occurs way too many times for you to search for it. The word go, interestingly, falls into that category. So you cannot do a search for the word go in Bible Gateway because it's too common. That's kind of interesting. And uh, in fact, I had to go to a, the Hebrew Bible, search the particular Hebrew word that was used, that God used when he said go to Jonah and discovered that in the Old Testament alone, that word for go was used 1,549 times. And of course, not all of these, not all of the times it's go is used, it's, it's not always used in the imperative. That means it's not always a command that's given. But even if you do a little research, what you'll find is that one of the most common things that God said to people was go. 
In case you don't believe me, here's some examples. Genesis 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family. Genesis 12, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. Genesis 31, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers. Exodus 8, 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh. Judges 7, 9. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up and go down against the camp. And I'm guessing you're getting the message. There are many more um, all the way down to Ananias. But the Lord said to Ananias, go And then lastly, Paul, Acts 22, verse 21, then the Lord said to me, go and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And these are just some of the examples in the Bible. And the the result is that we can conclude that God is a God who sends. He's a God who sends. And folks, just like there was a commission on Jonah's life, there's a commission on my life and there's a commission on your life. Christians call it the Great Commission. And you know it well if you've been in the church a while. It says this in Matthew 28, verse 18 and following. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And it goes on. You know, folks, we and the message we carry are the hope of Edinburgh. We actually are. We are, the, we are the hope, the message, not Destiny Church, but the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the hope for this city. There is no plan B. There is no plan B. And that is the message, one of the messages of that Jonah teaches us. God said to Jonah, go. And Jonah said, no thanks, I'm going to the Costa del Sol. That's basically where he ended up or where he was hoping to get to. But God has ways of making sure that his missionaries end up going to the right places. And in Jonah's case, it was basically to become a haggis, a fish haggis for three days and then being vomited onto the beach. And I'm not sure what the 21st century Destiny Church Edinburgh equivalent might be, but I'm not sure I'm keen to find out. So we've got to go. We've got to go. You know, sometimes the reason some of us don't go, we don't go and share our faith, we don't go and make disciples is that because a lot of the time we don't think the people we're talking to have any interest or have any hope of being uh, changed such that they would decide to, to follow Jesus. Well, the message of Jonah, as we'll see, is that there was no more unlikely group of people than the Ninevites to receive uh, God's message. And yet the whole city of Nineveh believed. Never underestimate what God is capable of doing. And so church, 2020 vision is about us accepting God's call to go. As I've said before, it would be much easier for us to stay. It would be easier. It'd be a lot more convenient. It'd be a lot cheaper. It'd be a lot less hassle if we stayed one church in two locations. But if we did that, we feel uh, we'd effectively be doing a Jonah and going in the opposite direction, the one we believe God has spoken to us about. So I encourage you churches, as Andrew and Peter were encouraging earlier, play your part in 2020 vision. This is our chance to allow this great message to impact our great city, just like Jonah's did in his time. He is a God who sends. The last thing I said 
about God? Do you remember what it was? He is a God who sees. He's a God who sees. I remember when I was a child, I would, I would watch TV and, you know, I would normally, as a boy, I would be kind of cutting about, as my father would say, and doing all kinds of stuff. But there was always a moment when the news came on and someone important came on. It was normally Mar- Margaret Thatcher. I'm really sorry, James. In those days, uh, somebody really important. Um, when they came on TV, I would always sit down and behave myself because I didn't realize that TV was just one way. I thought she could see me, and she's a pretty scary lady, and you wouldn't want to misbehave when she was watching. You know, I wonder how you would behave if you knew every moment of your life was being watched by someone else. What would you do differently? What would you say differently? What would you have to edit out of your life? Well, the truth is the people of Nineveh seemed to think that they could do whatever they wanted. They could do whatever they wanted. They could live however they liked. They could treat people however they wanted and no one anywhere was gonna hold them to account. But of course, someone was watching and it did matter how they lived and it did matter how they treated people and someone was gonna hold them to account. This is what it says in verse two. It says, God said to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It was located in what's now modern-day Iraq. And we've met the Assyrians before. I don't know if you remember a message I did in Psalms, in Psalm 46, that talked about the Assyrians. Uh, But they were notoriously barbaric people. The very name became a byword of cruelty and atrocity. If you were conquered by the Assyrians, uh, one of several things, Bobby, would happen to you. Either you would be skinned alive like these poor gentlemen, or you would be dismembered like that guy up there, so he's got no arms and no feet, or you'd be impaled on a pole like that guy, or you'd have your head chopped off and stacked on a skewer of other heads. These guys were notoriously barbaric. They were effectively the ISIS of their day. But just like God is doing with ISIS today, he's watching. He's watching. God saw their atrocity. He saw their cruelty. He saw their bloodthirstiness, and he said, enough's enough. I'm going to give you 40 days, and if you don't change after that, it's game over. And that was the message that Jonah was assigned to go and tell them. So God sees. So what's the application for us today? And I'll close with these two points. Two two applications for us today. Firstly, and it's a bit of a sober one, it's this, just like God is is watching Nineveh, was watching Nineveh, just like God, his eyes are on the face of the earth, he's watching what's happening with ISIS, just like all of that stuff, God is actually watching your life. He's watching your life and he's watching mine. And this is what it says in Hebrews 4. It says that nothing, say nothing, nothing, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes 
of him to whom we must give an account. The truth is that we will all give an account of how we live our lives. You may think, oh, I can get away with treating her like that, or I can get away with taking those shortcuts, or I can get away with dodging that tax, or I can get away with looking at those websites. But the truth is, all of us will have to give an account. And if it wasn't for Jesus, folks, who faced our judgment as Christians for us, the truth is that none of us would be able to stand against in the face of a holy God. So the folks, the message for all of us, non-Christians, Christians alike, is that we need to repent for our sin and that we need to trust completely in Jesus, who is the only thing between us and the judgment of God. That's the first application of this truth that God sees. The second application is this. For some of you, the biggest problem in your life isn't the stuff that's being done by you. It's the stuff that's being done to you. Some of you are being wronged. Some of you may even have been abused or are being abused or mistreated. Some of you are being persecuted or unjustly dealt with. Maybe there's so much pain going on in your life that you simply want to scream out, God, do you see this? Are you watching this? Well, the resigning answer from Scripture is yes. Yes, he is seeing it. And not only is he seeing it, but he feels it. When you hurt, he hurts. And I don't know why he's not stepping in and making it all better and fixing it all. But I do know that whatever the reason, he's not forgotten you. And if it's not changing from the time, for the time being, he intends to give you all the help and all the resources and all the comfort and all the support you need to get through it all. This is what it says in, in Psalm 33, and I'll finish with these verses. It says, from heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Let's pray. You know, when the word of God is preached, it's very important that we as God's people take 
some time to respond in whatever way is appropriate for us. And there are numerous kinds of ways you could respond to what's been shared this morning. You know, maybe you're in, maybe that last point about God seeing is the most important one for you. Maybe you are in a situation where you're doing things and you've been kind of living recklessly and you've been kind of thinking, oh, this doesn't matter if I do this. And yet the truth is that, that you may not, no one else may know about it, but God sees. God sees. Maybe the most appropriate response that you have this morning is that you repent for that sin and you, you turn yourself over to God and you say, God, I want to change. I want to turn my back on that thing. Maybe you're in that latter group of people who, you know, there's something going on in your life and it's causing you such pain and distress. Someone's mistreating you. Someone's abusing you. Someone's persecuting you. Maybe your response is today, God, I thank you that you see. And God, I choose to trust you. Even if this thing doesn't change immediately, I choose to trust you. I choose to hope in you. Just like that Psalm says. Maybe for some of you, the point about God speaking is the most important thing. And you need to create a bit more time in your life to hear God speaking. For some of you, maybe... The most important point is the God who sends. Maybe some of you have been apathetic when it comes to sharing the gospel, going out, reaching your world. Well, now is the time to make a fresh commitment to doing it.